welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I'm very excited to welcome the following guest to our show. He's the founder and CEO of Glass Canvas, and that's the team behind the Tilma Parish. We're going to be talking about that uh, in, a, in just a few minutes here. He works very closely with dioceses across North America to increase ministry effectiveness, particularly in the unique and evolving times we are currently living in. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Through years of experience in entrepreneurship, marketing, ministry, and strategy, he leads a great team that helps unlock ministry potential. And he is a fellow Canuck, he's a family man, and most importantly, he is our brother in Christ. Jason Jensen, welcome to the Catholic Canuck Podcast. Thank you for for having me. Well, it's great to catch up with you, Jason. And like I said, it's always nice to talk to a, a fellow Canadian, a fellow Canuck. Uh, I venture to ask if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan, as some people mistakenly think that this uh, podcast is about uh, the hockey team, but... <laughs> But it's been uh, some pretty turbulent times for the the Canucks hockey team lately, too. <laughs> I'm admittedly a bandwagon fan um, when we're doing well. So I haven't had to invest a lot of energy in the last few years, which uh, which has been pretty good for the soul. Yeah, fair enough. No, it's, certainly sports is good, but it can certainly take you away from uh, from some of the more important things in life if you let it. So that's uh, that makes sense. Uh, Jason, you know, we, you've got such a, a real interesting organization that you've got. I'm really glad that I, I've heard about it through uh, our Sunday visitor, the OSB Institute. Uh, there's a story uh, behind your organization and the OSB Challenge, and we talked to, uh, to about the OSB Challenge just a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to, to kind of get your background first, just where you've where you've uh, where you've come from, what you're up to now. You're based in the Vancouver area, but yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about your your journey of faith as a youngster, where you grew up, and how you ended up getting into uh, into this type of ministry. Yeah, so um, was born and and raised Catholic, and actually in South Africa, which I have a very weird experience in that Catholicism was a minority religion. You know, like you know, there's um, all sorts of mainline Protestant churches in South Africa, and um, but Catholicism actually didn't, you know, it's not the biggest, uh, religion there. So moving to Canada was like an eye waking. Oh, like there's a lot of Catholics, you know? So that was a interesting experience for me, but we moved, uh, right around when I turned 16, um, just a little bit before I turned 16 and, uh, in 1998, so people can figure out how old I am, but, uh, it was, it, and then, um, when we kind of came to Canada, that's when, you know, high school and sort of, you know, a turbulent time in my life, uh, I started looking for the answers to life, you know, and kind of, um, I drifted away from my faith or it didn't become really meaningful and relevant in my life, uh, until we moved out into the Fraser Valley. So, which is this area, you know, still part of greater Vancouver. And then I started going to this university called Trinity Western university, which, um, people from, 
you know, around the U.S. might be familiar with that name. They uh, were in a pretty landmark decision about their law school got shut down because of their Christianity. Um, that's sort of what the court case was about. Uh, and it was sort of a mixed result at the end there. But I remember the day before I went to university, my mom reminds me of this as I said, ah, oh, you know, like, I don't want to go and be with a whole bunch of Bible thumpers, uh, very secular worldview. And as soon as I got there, I thought it was just unbelievable to see people of faith and how attractive that was. Cause I just did not have that same context in sort of parish life or, or, you know, um, or my exposure to Christianity through Catholicism was, uh, I hadn't met, you know, sort of the right people or, you know, the state of the church. And then, uh, I had sort of, uh, a wandering away from the church into the evangelical world. And, but through that, I had sort of a reversion and, um, my parish priest at the time was actually, he's now Bishop Mark Hageman, uh, out in Saskatchewan. And, uh, I just went to him and I was like, Hey, Mary Pope saints, like you got to answer all these questions for me. And he's like, okay, well I'll answer the first one and then I'm going to get you reading to answer the rest. And there was just a, there's this sort of intellectual formation that kind of happened over time, um, within this community. And, um, that's sort of where I had this reversion to faith and really, uh, started my, the, a deepening journey of, you know, coming to understand who Jesus was and, I, I definitely felt throughout that whole period of time that I was being drawn back into the church by the Holy Spirit. And fast forward several years, I had a company that didn't do so well and was trying to figure out what the next thing was. And that's when Glass Canvas was born. And I remember sitting there at Easter in the, in the, at the Easter vigil and saying, like, I talked to a whole bunch of business mentors at the time and they had said, serving the church yeah, you know, like doing marketing and creative and like, that's great, but you got to do kind of like 80% of your work in the secular space to be able to fund uh, the work that you do there. And I was wrestling with God at the Easter vigil. I was like, you know, I really, I really, my heart's desire is just to do only faith-based work, you know, but if, if you need me to, I'll, I'll do the 80% or 70% or figure out how I can keep that number as low as possible, just so I can do more of the, the, um, sort of the church work or the work in evangelization. And I heard him say probably the, one of the kindest things that he said, he said, I heard the father say, well, why don't you do it until you can't pay the bills? And we've been around for this last Easter was nine years after I heard that. So God has been super faithful to us and being able to um, do that. We've gone on a wild adventures, being able to serve all sorts of ministries across Canada and a lot in the U S mainly and so we've the fellowship of Catholic university students we've met, we've done work with the sisters of life and the Franciscan friars of the renewal and, um, St. Paul's outreach and net. And we've just been able to really these great people of faith who, uh, on the mission of sharing Jesus with others. So it's been, it's been a wild ride. That's like a, the, the fast version of my story. Oh, that's awesome. Sounds like we could, uh, you could probably write a book on that, uh, Jason. That's that's great and powerful too, and, and the way the Lord spoke to you, and and uh, boy, that's yeah, that's outstanding. So you get to the, you said you had another venture before, it didn't quite work out for you, but this this uh, you know the glass canvas comes up. Um, how did it start? Like the actual organization itself, what was sort of the aim, 
you have this the Tilma Parish program right now, but there was obviously something that was sort of the anchor to get Glass Canvas going. So maybe maybe tell us a little bit about those beginnings. Yeah. So one kind of real interesting part that kind of plays through our culture as an organization all the time is Glass Canvas was birthed out of my men's group. So we've been meeting probably weekly, not every week, like of course we miss a few weeks, but uh, our, our men's group has been meeting for, we've been friends for 20 years and probably meeting for 15 or 14 or so years, like a long, long time. And uh, so the co-founder with me, his name is uh, Pierre de Fleurio, and he's, he's now our creative director and director of experience. And he had just returned back from India and he had spent some time with the Sisters of Charity and was like, hey, how do I, like, I just, I want to give my life back. And at the same time, I was having a very similar sort of heart journey of saying, like, I want to use my, my gifts for the kingdom because I'd use them for myself and that it didn't even work out. And I was like, what, what do I have to show for like that? So in the risky game of life, things don't always work out, but what is the character that we form over time? So him and I got together and we said, Hey, let's start this thing called glass canvas. And we discerned about like only doing uh, work for churches, charities, and nonprofits at the time. And the, the big, the heart of it is that we wanted to unlock ministry potential and it, it drove us crazy. And it still kind of drives me crazy when um, people say, oh, that, you know, this happened, used to happen a lot more, but they said, oh, that's a great website for a church or for a ministry as if uh, the thing that graded on me was as if the gospel, it was almost an acceptable thing that the gospel could get, you know, second best stuff. And so there were other sort of agencies out there that were running that 80, 20, 70, 30 model before, but when a big organization phoned them, then they left and they said, okay, well, you know, we got to service our main part of our business model in order to do um, this faith-based work almost off the side of our desk. But that meant that when the church really needed them, they weren't guaranteed to be there. And I was like, ah, I just can't, I can't do that. And so that's the idea that we kind of pressed into was to be uh, an agency that unlocked ministry potential. And yeah, we wanted to really walk with the spirit led who were building the kingdom. That's outstanding, Jason. That's, that's inspiring. You know, let's go back, go back to that men's uh, group that you had there. How important is it for, you know, just generally for all Catholics to get together? That's why, you know, this time right now that we're living, Jason, a lot of Catholics, we just can't get together. Not only can't we get together for mass, there's other things at the parish level, you know, whether that's the Knights of Columbus, you know, up in Canada, we have something called the Catholic Women's League. These are all important parts of our community. But that men's uh, group there and that uh, the idea that came out of that, how, yeah, how important is it for men to get together, Jason, and have that fellowship amongst other good Catholic men? The best way for me to answer that is I have no idea where I would be without those guys doing life with me. And the temptation for us like early on was saying, hey, let's do this book study and like just do intellectual formation together, which there's nothing wrong with intellectual formation. As you, you know, I shared part of my story. There's, there's some key I love to, to learn my faith. But what I found like more is there are deep things within me that dictate a lot about how I live my life. And the, 
the message of the gospel is designed to be worked out in community, you know? And I feel like the more we do that as men, um, when we as men have the ability to be vulnerable with other men and unpack our stories, like where we have woundedness from all sorts of, you know, parts of the story of our life, that's what really brings healing. So this idea of living the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10 is like, how do you get there? And I think it's about like this journey in freedom of the heart. And you can't, you just, you just, we're not designed as people to do that alone. And uh, I wouldn't be the man that I am unless I had brothers who could walk with me when I stumble, when I have victory, you know, um, who will stick with me as I expose my woundedness to them. And, uh, and they're not running away, you know, like we've started talking about, oh, um, it's one thing uh, I read this book, which is an amazing book by an evangelical guy called Becoming a King by Morgan Snyder. And uh, it's the only book I'd recommend a men's group to go through, but they have this one section in there that talks about, it's one thing to ask somebody to stand up at your wedding. It's another thing to put the people down who will carry your casket. And the difference between those two people is the person who uh, is at your wedding says, I will, I will walk with you. And the person who carries your casket says, I did. And the power between like forming friendships of people who do or did with you. Uh, yeah, I just community, deep community where people, where you're truly known is essential to life. I just, I long for that for, for everyone in a parish. Well, that's outstanding, Jason. You know what? We're, we're lacking that, I think, in our church, especially in Canada. We don't have a lot of really good men's groups. There are some in certain pockets, but uh, there, there aren't a lot. And I, I certainly want to lead that charge. And it sounds like I've got you right behind me on that to, to get more of those uh, across Canada and help our church and our country. And uh, to our, our Dawn Canadian listeners, St. Joseph is our patron. And some of the things that you, you're relating to there, I mean, St. Joseph was such a man of action, right, Jason? And uh, such a great example for all of us and, and how to, um, to journey with people and to, uh, and to just do God's will and to, to obey and to, uh, and to lead. So no, that's, uh, that's great. So Glass Cannabis, uh, it's, uh, it's up and running for a little while. And then all of a sudden now you've got uh, this Tilma Parish idea uh it sounds like it's a, is it jason was it a little bit of a different idea now i'm going to go back to the the osv institute and the challenge because we talked to matt smith a few weeks ago about this and and uh, your group was part of this competition through the osv institute and the osv challenge so um was this kind of a unique idea the tilma parish that's come about in the last couple of years or were you building on an existing idea that was already kind of uh, percolating with glass canvas yeah so as you kind of dive into being, you know, having a singular focus of just helping unlock ministry potential it means you're, you know, and we're heavy focused on evangelization with, with most of our clients. And, um, we started saying, Oh, you know, we would build a website for one client and then the next client would need the exact same tool. And we found pretty quickly that unlike, um, a different agency that would be servicing what would be seen in the world as competitors. Like if you service banks, one bank doesn't want you to reuse the thing you 
they paid you to build with somebody else. But we said, hey, how do we get as much, uh, as many tools into the hands of people who are building the kingdom as possible? So what we ended up doing is saying, hey, we've got this built and just for the ability to implement this for you, um, uh, you know, we're not gonna charge you more to build it again, just to, to have it you know, implemented, installed or whatever. And so we started building one tool and then using it for the next person, using it for the next person. And then slowly our, the technology that we had uh, had grown to a point where um, you know, it, over the last five or six years, that, that's a substantial amount of, of growth. And then when the OSB innovation challenge, we said, hey, um, you know, it'd be great is to actually have like some of that prize money in order to, uh, to like kind of keep building this, um, build some features that we wanted to build uh, for a while, but our clients didn't necessarily need at the time or just ways for us to say, oh, that'd be fun to build. And then through the OSV challenge, um, the Lord through very, like a lot of circumstances of provenance, we just entered and said, oh, you know, we'll kind of do this off the side of our desk. And then as that kind of moved from there to the Notre Dame Idea Center, uh, this idea started percolating in our hearts of said, oh, you know, we might be able to have more impact and help the church have more impact if we become a product company instead of being an agency. So if we actually double down on this and as that idea, as, as our hearts opened to that idea, all of a sudden God just opened floodgates of like people and um, resources and understanding and, uh, and all sorts of um things became available to us. And so we pivoted our whole company probably about eight months ago now to say, we're no longer going to do the agency work. Um, we're still going to be a consultancy because we feel that we have a calling and anointing to help, you know, people figure out, um, you know, complex problems that they might be facing um, in the ministry space. But we're going to double down on creating tools that we can, that we don't have to charge agency rates on. We can just get lots and lots of clients who are solving the same problem. So that's where you get your parishes um, in order to uh, bless them with the technology that we did. So through that whole process of OSV and sort of the pandemic and seeing how the church is scrambling to have the right technology to like stay in communion with, with, parishioners and all that kind of stuff we just said hey now's the time we got to double down in this and once we took that leap of faith the lord kind of met us there and um provided like the right people and uh opportunities for us to be able to make that shift with confidence you know jason it sounds like you already had a, a roster full of, of experts just through your experience you know previous to, to getting involved with the uh, the osv challenge but how important was it to meet that that larger group of, of Catholics, that larger community where you could exchange ideas, get some new ideas, uh, collaborate with other people? How, how valuable was that experience in itself, just going through the OSV challenge and, you know, being, a, you know, this, this great agency out of Vancouver, but, you know, expanding your horizons to meeting so many other people and, and getting other ideas to maybe even bounce off of? Yeah, and we were by far the biggest team. Um that was already running in the challenge. But what was amazing about that was seeing people who saw the opportunity to innovate in the church in the same way that we did, you know, not to like be angry and mad and say, Hey, the church has got to change or we're out. But these people who are really trying to figure out how to engage with their world in a meaningful way. 
you know, I think Eden Invitation, Juan Diego Network, the storytellers, there's a whole bunch of storytellers that were telling impactful and me meaningful, like, um, stories that shape how we, we live and like see God at work. And, and throughout that, it was just encouraging to see other people out there. I, I, I'm often reminded of that story of the prophet Elijah as he's just had this amazing thing. He's seen, you know, fire rain down from heaven and then he runs away and then he goes, Oh God, um, I'm the only one. And that's actually the end of, it's a sad part of the story of Elijah because that's the end of his ministry. And then Elisha kind of gets raised up in order to take it over. But what God says to God says to Elijah in that moment is he says, I have people in other cities that you know nothing about um, or that you don't know about. And in the OSV challenge, seeing people who are thinking and doing that. So the most impactful thing is not necessarily their ideas, which were great. And I think of Eden Invitation, who's like kind of processing the super complex social problem of um, uh, gender identity uh, as it relates to the church uh, and just the boldness and the braveness, like the character of the people and knowing that there are other people out there trying to figure out how to engage with our world meaningfully. That spoke way deeper to, to us than uh, the brilliant, innovative ideas that they had. And just being able to rub shoulders with them was a real privilege. You know, the Catholic Church, we've got the fullness of truth already, Jason, right? And I've always, you know, think of, you know, us being a Eucharistic centered, a sacramental centered um, faith, you know, and uh, with the Eucharist being the source and the summit of, of our lives. And so we've got the truth behind us, but it just seems like sometimes it's just the avenues of getting that truth and that message out there, right? I think of Venerable Archbishop Sheen, right? The real trailblazer that he was, was that he could reach people through TV, and, you know, back 70, 80 years ago, that was something that was brand new. And uh, and now, you know, with uh, even think of, of um, St. John Paul II, I mean, uh, they invented planes. Well, he jumped on a plane and he was going all over the world to preach the gospel, right? It seems like there's been sort of a, a gap in how um, that we haven't really been coming up with creative ways to, to spread the gospel, Jason. It seems, you know, in the last 20 to 30 years, something new and something exciting. And that's why I think this is such a, a great thing that you guys are doing and You've already mentioned uh, uh, at least one or, or two other um, different uh, groups that, that kind of inspired you with uh, through that OSV Institute and the challenge. But uh, was there anything else that sort of jumped out at you, some sort of a trend or, or um, you know, maybe a specific group of Catholics that uh, they said, man, we really need to, to come up with some new way of approach to, uh, to talk about something with young people or with men? Or, uh, or, or some other group? Was there anything else that kind of stuck out uh, to you in the, the process? Yeah, I think um, there's been some really interesting data that's come out of the research. Uh, uh, Barna was one of them. Um, I'm blanking on the other one. But, you know, sort of two stats have come out in the last month uh, of data that's released. One is in the last 20 years, we've uh, reduced the membership in Catholic in the Catholic church by about 20%, you know, like we've lost 20% of our like registered members. That's, that's a big number. And like, coincidentally, like I had my conversion 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm thinking, Oh, you know, like in the last 20 years, one out of every five people is no longer considered, um, in the church. So I think that some of that is like, obviously through, um, natural causes like death and, and things like that. 
where our population was older, but, but it's still an alarming stat. And then for the first time, especially in the U S uh, less than 50% of, um, people who call themselves Catholic attend mass on a regular basis. Now I'm not, I don't know how solid that stat is in light of a COVID world, but I think that it's a concerning stat in that, you know, like you talk about the sacramental reality. I also, if, if we look at what is the next 20 years going to look like in the church and we absolutely have the fullness of faith, but I wonder about what, what is the ministry model? Like, how do we like the orthodoxy? Like we understand our faith, but the orthopraxy, like what are we mapping our, our ministry model against into the future so that we know that we can meaningfully engage with our world. And I think this is what's happening. And we've seen over the last, you know, since the advent of the smartphone and then social media, we've seen that our church um, has been, you know, been slow to respond to what the culture has all of a sudden gained massive momentum. And I'm not saying we're against culture, um, but the world has been changed so quickly in our lifetime with the advent of those particular pieces of technology. It's almost a bigger shift than the printing press. And it's happened in such a condensed period of time. And I don't think we've caught up on how to map our, our engagement with the world um, so that we can confidently say in the next 20 years time, I feel like the general sentiment for everyone we're talking about is there's a nervousness, even a fear, or even like a, well, it's just, we're going to lose people. And uh, that's sort of the general sentiment. But I think that we, there's actually hope in that there's a new model that we have to engage with, um, especially as we start looking at uh, sort of the tail end of millennials and Gen Z who are like sort of coming in, you know, in a period of coming of age um, in the church. And do we have enough tools and the effective way to engage them in a really meaningful way? So that's the question that our hearts are like kind of pondering all the time these days. And, and you know, we, we chat a little bit offline about, uh, you know, the old parish model of how do we reach out to our parishioners if they're not showing up anymore? You know, okay, well, let's look at the last mailing address we have. Maybe we have a home phone number and, you know, we just canvas that way. There's got to be a more effective way to do that now with, with technology changing so much. And, you know, we can really use it to our advantage, can't we, Jason? I mean, there's, uh, you know, things happen so fast right now in real time that it's so important that uh, that Catholic parishes and, and groups within a parish can keep up with those things. So maybe it's a, it's a good time to talk about Tilma itself right now. Um, what are some of the things about Tilma that make it special, that make it unique and, and something that a parish and a diocese can really dive into and um, use it as a tool for ministry? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I think Pope Benedict was prophetic, you know, to lead into this in that way. He said, hey, we have to actually go and reach the digital continent. And I think that him saying this is missionary, um, this is an outpouring of a missionary spirit into a place that, uh, like people who went on missions before traveling across the ocean to the unknown world. I think this is the unknown world that we have to kind of go to in order to bring um, the good news of the gospel there too. And so when we think about what Tilma is, it's, you know, people database, it's an email tool, it's uh, events and registration, it's a website and content. Um, and, but it's, 
the magic happens because it's all built on the same platform. So you don't have to play this import export game. And again, it's consistent with where we've been coming from, from day one is how do we unlock the ministry of a parish and our vision or our heart's longing is to make a parish truly irresistible, which comes down to how do we have the most healthy relationships with people? And to give you an example, Gap sends me an email on my birthday every year. And of course, they're offering me a discount and they want me to purchase. But our church, for the most part, hasn't embraced that kind of use of technology. And I think if we are going to evangelize this digital continent that Pope Benedict talked about, we have to get there and we have to map out our ministry according to that. So in our diocese, we have um, marriage ministry is sort of centralized. It's not parish to parish to parish. It's parishes send their, their, their marriage prep to that. So to give an example of the power of um, having all these tools in the same place and having many parishes on the same uh, data, you know, on the same infrastructure that allows us to go, Hey, uh, we see you, we can send you content. We can send you, uh, opportunities for enrichment leading up to marriage prep. And then even when they get married, we can send them an encouraging note from the Bishop or from the marriage ministry person. And then six months into their, their wedding, we can say, Hey, now's the best time to like lay the foundation of your your marriage. Um, here is a first year of marriage course that you, uh, you should jump on, but being able to take them around what we call a ministry journey, which I just explained to you, we're going to need more sophisticated tools that talk to each other and that are more integrated in order to do ministry really well. Well, that's really exciting. And I think that's uh, great that you can make it uh, really specific to the, the particular Catholic that at their stage in life, because we're all at different stages. You and I are both are both dads and uh, we're both married and it's all unique to the, to the parishioner, right? Um, just through the last year or two, do you find that you've been talking more to people at a parish level, Jason, or do you try to try to approach it from a diocesan level? At the heart of it, we're doing both. So we are passionate about parish renewal and um, giving a parish the tools that they need to create ministry opportunities um, that don't quite exist right now. But the bigger vision too is an integrated parish life in um, throughout the diocese, you know, so that a whole diocese can, can move from maintenance to mission too. And I feel like that is a, is a big dream for us. Uh, technology can only help with some part of that problem. So we do do a lot to work with uh, the teams at a diocese to help them um, map their ministry against the tools that that we have and against software and ministry opportunity and, and experience. Because at the heart of what we're trying to do is uh, if you can imagine the best parts of being in ministry are that conversation that you get to have with somebody over like coffee or whatever, um, where somebody is in a place where things start to make sense, where the gospel message starts to make sense. Or you think of the Saturday night experience at a retreat where people have been opened and they're like, they're able to receive something anew for the first time. It's either a deepening of faith or an awakening of faith or, or whatever that might be. And so whether we're talking to a parish or a diocesan level, the, the point is the same, is 
ministry opportunities that lead to somebody um, instead of just through programs, but we're thinking of steps that lead to that sort of coffee conversation or that, you know, Saturday night experience. And the more the church works together, you know, this is the funny thing is uh, there's power in unity. And um, by, by God's blessing, the way Catholicism is sort of mapped out, you and I don't have a relationship um, only with our parish. You know, if I go to Mexico on holiday or Europe or wherever, like we can go to mass and I still feel just as connected with the church there as I do here. Um, the fascinating part about that is when we talked about Gen Z earlier, Gen Z have the same mapping in their minds when they think about the world. They don't think as local as, um, as, as we do. Um, they think universal and they're consuming content like they're consuming anime from Japan and like, um, you know, music from all around the world. And they're finding this really great stuff. So they're not connecting only to their locale anymore. And so you asked me if we were focusing on Paris or diocese, both, because that's where um, real engagement of this new model that we're trying to like figure out um, with other people is. Yeah, that's outstanding. It's it truly under our highlights that uh, we're a universal church and um, it's interesting, uh, you know, to see a, a trend. And like you said, with, with young people, um, you know, they're, they're consuming content from all over the world. And I think it's uh, music to their ears when they realize how interconnected we are in the church with people in other countries. And like you said, Jason, when you travel, you go on vacation, you attend your obligation on Sunday, you walk into a, a parish around the world. And I mean, you don't never met these people in your life, but there's a kinship about meeting these folks, right? You know that there's something real special that it's hard to explain to someone that's not a Catholic, that's not baptized, but there's, um, they're your brothers and sisters and you know it in the depths of your soul. And it's, it's hard to put into words, but there is that, uh, that universality of our faith is so beautiful. So this program that, that you guys have, Jason, you're obviously going beyond borders. You're not just in, in the diocese of Vancouver, you're, you're, um, across Canada and the United States. How, how big is your reach right now? Uh, are you guys in other countries as well now? Uh, we are focusing on North America. So mainly Canada, the U S um, uh, for now, but I mean, we'd love to, we, we had a, a really meaningful conversation with this group out in, uh, the United Kingdom and, uh, they're explaining kind of where the church is at there right now. So we'd love to be able to like give the tool to whoever can, whoever needs it and can use it to build, um, build up the church where they are, they're at. We are focusing mainly in Canada and the U S which is a lot, uh, for us to focus on. We feel like that's the right place to start. Um, but we're also trying to like integrate multilingual, you know, so we've got partners who, uh, will help translate content and give us native content in Spanish. And we're working, um, we're working on French as well. So there is this idea of, uh, we want this to be wherever there's somebody who can use this tool, we want to be able to, to give it to them. But sometimes as you, as you know, there's a practicality on, um, not running ahead of where the Lord's at. And so, yeah, us and Canada is the, the big focus right now. Yeah. Fair enough. It's sometimes just the fear of doing something a little bit different, right? Um, it, what's sort of the biggest, um, I guess, hurdle that, 
that a parish or diocese will bring to you and say, we can't do this because X, you know, it sounds like a great idea, but we don't have X resources or whatever, the will to do this. What, what are you, what are you typically seeing with the kind of the, I don't want to say the excuse, but a reason why people mm. don't want to proceed with something that's a little bit more progressive in the sense of a tool reaching their parishioners. For many beautiful reasons, the church is slow to change. Um, and in the ordinary sort of times of history, which, you know, I know that that's not really, there's no really ordinary time in history, but, uh, the church is being asked to move faster than she's used to in our day and age. And with change comes change management. And I think that that is like for people who, um, who really get it, it, it it's almost never about the the cost of doing something from a dollar's perspective but it's the cost in um getting people to change how they do things is is a big thing but um and that could be as simple as wow you know we've got we've got sensitive data here in in people's you know um your parish membership data and uh moving that feels like a lot of work but um, it's helpful for people to know that we've, we've done a lot of work in making that as seamless as possible. Um, and then the, the other part of it is, uh, it's a, it's a scary time. You know, I think that there are things that we're not sure. And there's like kind of these options where people are thinking about, oh, should we be preserving sort of battening down the hatches or should we be trying to engage more in accelerating with our culture, you know, like, should we try and reach more people? And I think that, uh, once, once people are like, no, I'm committed to a mode, uh, you know, to returning to this sort of early church apostolic mode in our culture, uh, then a lot of the pieces fall into place for them. So yeah, change management is hard. Uh, and trusting and discerning what the Lord is doing is also, it, it, it can't be taken lightly. So well, I've seen some many great leaders who have discerned that really well before, before making the shift. Yeah, I guess it's like a lot of large organizations, the wheels do tend to turn slow, but uh, sometimes circumstances accelerate things a little bit more, right? And, and you like to think that that's going to happen. Uh, you live in BC, Jason. What's it like being a Catholic in BC right now? Um, there was a lot of restrictions and there's some lockdowns. Uh, when it comes to being a Catholic, uh, have you been able to go to mass here in the last year? I've what, What's uh, that situation like right now for you? Yeah, so uh, I haven't been able to go to mass. Thankfully, we've been able. I've been able to receive you know Holy Communion. Um, in that, there's sort of the recommendation is uh, prayerfully. Uh, live stream mass and then there's windows of time where you can go and receive uh, after that and so that's been good but you know it's obviously you know there's a part of me that's really longing to like like experience liturgy in them it's just not the same you know like I, everyone knows that we, we can't do this over skype or zoom right you can't uh, <laughs> celebrate mass and receive the eucharist over yeah over and, skype and or zoom right jason yeah and and i want to be with other people you know, I think it's like, it's not satisfying enough just to be watching it together with other people. I actually want to be with them and, and, and enjoying them. 
But my, my broader per perspective, and this is maybe a little bit controversial, is um, our health minister has kind of, you know, for a while, gyms were open and churches were closed. And I think there's been a temptation to say, hey, that's religious discrimination. And, and I don't want to say if it is or not, because I'm sure that there's parts of it that are and there are parts of it that aren't. But the deepest reflection that I've had of this whole situation is by far and large, or um, the church is seen as irrelevant, you know, or living a sacramental reality is seen as irrelevant, which I don't think they're maliciously, this is my take, I don't think they're maliciously saying, hey, we're going to get, you know, Catholics intentionally or, or even other Christians. I think what's happening is people saying, Hey, you know, like, Oh, you know, you can just zoom into something. And like, that's, that's the same. And, um, everyone's not able to meet and be in, you know, physical community with each other. Like this is no different. And that says that we still need this new model of engaging with our culture so that they can see how like relevant we, we really are like in the age where Rome was still in its prime, Christians were persecuted for being carnivores, right? Like, which is like a, a bad understanding of what we're doing, but they, at least there's a, a sacramental impact that they were having on the culture where they're like, what the heck are they doing? It seems really meaningful, but wrong. And um, so, yeah, my, my reflection has been, we have to create structures that are able to create relevancy to our culture. And that has nothing to do with changing what we believe. Like that absolutely stays the same. It's about how we present that. And I think that's what John Paul II was talking about. You know, uh, we need more new forms and expressions for the gospel so that we can find it in our own generation. No, I, I agree with everything you just said there, Jason. We're, we've been really blessed in Alberta. We've been able to have public mass this year for, with the exception of maybe a, a month or two last summer, uh, spring, summer. Uh, it has been a, a, a high priority from uh, from our government and uh, you know we can always disagree and agree with certain things that happen at any level of government but in this case uh, they've I think there's they've definitely tried their best and there's no doubt this virus it's had a real negative effect on the faith I, I really hate to say it but uh, we're going to be going into restore and rebuild mode and in, in a lot of ways and you know something like like abortion Jason you know that's been deemed an essential service the church is not in a lot of places. And, and for us Catholics, uh, again, we can't do this over Skype or Zoom. We can't do it this way. And it's, um, I feel like there's an opportunity, Jason, don't you? There's an opportunity now that maybe we missed something here in the last year, us as Catholics. But uh, because our God is, is a great God and a merciful God, I think he's going to give us another opportunity to, to be an example to the world, to tell our message. So how do you envision where Tilma fits into this, the Tilma Parish, what you guys are doing, not, and not just the Tilma Parish, but even just your ministry, even just in your own parish. How, how, do, you, how do you envision how that's going to fill that void and, and uh, bring our parishes and our communities back together again when we kind of get back to somewhat normal? Yeah. I think what the pandemic has done for almost everyone has exposed the idols of our heart you know like where do i find security that's not in god um uh or that's coming between god and i and the the powerful thing is like e even not being able to have 
communion for like for us it was like a long stretch it's kind of like being in a marriage where you say hey we can't be intimate right now that can either wreck your marriage or it can absolutely strengthen your marriage and it makes it the return so much sweeter you know um and i think that like it's very similar in the church it's like how do we get a message that frames what is happening in our hearts uh that we are longing for something. Everyone feels like we're longing for something. And the thing that used to satisfy that or falsely satisfied that in many ways, like my trust in money or my trust in um, uh, even relationships or things like that um, has been, we've had an opportunity where for a lot of people, those things have been stripped away. You know, the confidence in the markets of the world uh, have been reduced. And now we have an opportunity to actually say, Look, the thing that you have been longing for the whole time is a personal encounter with Jesus. And I want to frame it. What Tilma can help is actually build the trust in the relationship um, so that you can manage. Like, we got a lot of people that we're coordinating and managing as, you know, pastoral staff. Um, but to be able to say, hey, the whole thing is built around orienting people to the opportunity of saying, hey, like, how I frame the trust that I want to build with you over time so that I can present to you something that I know to be deeply true and deeply meaningful, which is Jesus, you know, and his presence in the sacraments and um, the, the church that he founded and all these kinds of things. Um, that, that's what we're after. And I think that's the, the goal of Tilma is in this rebuild or this new phase is I want to introduce them to the church that Jesus wants us to be uh, and not like, I, I do think pre pandemic, there were some times where we've gotten, we've lost why we, why, why we do any of what we do. Um, and it's, it's great personal repentance in that. It's like, Oh, where did I, where did I not have you at the center point of my life? Um, and why is your message not condemning to me, but actually, for the freedom of my heart. And we have the very best thing to share with people in the whole world. We just have to work a little bit harder in our time for that to be uh, presented in the right way to people. And that's, that's what we're all about at, you know, at Glass Canvas through Tilma. Oh, that's outstanding. So that's, uh, that's great, Jason. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you for, for being a brother in Christ and, and being in the vineyard. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to meet you. I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, tell us how uh, an individual or a parish diocese, how they can reach out to you and your group. Yeah, the, the best way would be a, a real blessing to us would be to go to tilmaparish.com and book a demo. If anything of what I talked about and we talked about together kind of resonates with you, please just book a demo. We love doing them. Um, we learned so much in just connecting with other people who are in parish life uh, and to see a little bit more what the tool can do in, in the nuts and bolts. So tilmaparish.com. No, that's outstanding. Well, let's definitely stay in touch, Jason, as, uh, as time goes on here and see how, how you're making out with your ministry. And it's, uh, it's an outstanding one, an exciting one. And uh, again, I thank you very much for your time. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. A big thank you to Jason Jensen for joining us from Glass Canvas, and they're the folks behind Tilma Parish. So that website is tilmaparish.com, T-I-L-M-A, parish.com. 
and we'll continue to pray for the great work that they're doing out there in the Vancouver area. So go check out that website and uh, hey, put in a good word for Jason and his group that they've got a lot of good things going on there and I'm sure uh, be very beneficial to your parish and your diocese. And a reminder, everyone, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Please say hi anytime. Drop me a line. Love hearing stories about your faith journey and also all your feedback. Really appreciate that. And a reminder, Catholics, you know that drill. You got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.